Welcome to the Shift Spotlight Podcast. I'm Winter, your host and co-founder of the Shift Spot. We are business transformational experts that help business owners and CEOs shift from working in the business to working on the business. My partner, Ken Paskins, and I specialize in helping visionaries achieve breakout results and scale with ease. We say here at the Shift Spot, shift happens, and we believe our knowledge, skill set, and support will help you design your business to give you the freedom and balance you deserve. Also, the Shift Spotlight is always looking for podcast guests, so go to theshiftspot.com and click on podcast. We'd love to have you. This is Winter with the Shift Spotlight, and today I'm here with Michelle Hortle, and she is the founder and CEO at Adaptabilities and can be found at adaptabilities.ca. So welcome, Michelle. Thank you very much for having me on, Winter. So you're up in Canada right now, and um, before we get before we get going, I'd like to just start with something a little bit fun. Why don't you tell us an interesting fact about yourself that maybe not everybody knows? Hey, well, um, yeah, I like to have a lot of fun. When I was younger, um, I did some traveling overseas in Australia, New Zealand, and I remember doing the bungee jumping and I couldn't imagine jumping out of a plane or whatnot, but um, it was absolutely the most exhilarating thing I'd ever done. And I, yeah, I jumped out head first and got dipped in the water. And it was so amazing. I ran back up and I said, can I do it again? And oh, wow. uh, you went back for seconds. I went back for seconds. So uh, yeah, that was a long time ago when I was 21 and uh, it's in a VHS and uh, y- y- it's a little hard to share that. So uh, it-, it was great though. It's funny you say that. I actually did that same trek. So you must've done the Kawaru bridge, right? I did. Yeah. At 43 meters. I did the same thing. I tried to get in the water. I didn't hit. And then afterwards they said, well, you're just, sometimes you're too like small. There's not enough weight to hit it all the time. But I was like desperate to hit the water, but I didn't. But um, yeah, I would not have run up and I was so glad that I did it. I was so proud of myself. I was in my forties. Uh, no, like late thirties, but I, I would not have run up and did it again. It's like one of those things where check, I have, I have the video. I did it not going back. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I think if I was in my late thirties, forties, I might've been one and done as well, yeah. but uh, yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, it's interesting. We both did that. So, all right. Well, at a high level, why don't you tell our listeners what it is that you do? Well, I am yeah, the founder of a nonprofit. Uh, we are a charitable organization in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and we support families who have kids with diverse abilities. Um, referred to special needs, disabilities, um, that kids have, you know, it is so diverse. So it's a new term that we're actually playing with um, and using to- I, I, When decide. you said it, I got it right away. It I bought it. it. I it Wonderful. Was, and I thought it was a nice way to say that. And it's, it's. I think it's like respected. It's a, it's yeah. a respected word. Absolutely. And you know, predominantly the service that we provide is respite care. We often hear of that in the elderly or, you know, parents, if one person has dementia, the other one is getting respite. But in the children's world with disability, it's really important that we prevent caregiver burnout with our families. And my experience uh, as a teacher, I saw very much um, 
the struggles and frustrations of families. And so each one of our programs was created out of a gap in the system. And so the, the respite is supported through government programs for the family, but they don't know where to even get those resources. So that's really what I've built on all of the programs and families get a break, but um, we're empowering families and individuals with uh, diverse abilities to grow, succeed and belong. So the teacher in me, if I'm gonna spend time with a kiddo, I want them to really be able to grow and learn something new. Then they experience success. And uh, at the end of that, um, there's this longing to belong. So if you've got the understanding or the strength to do monkey bars in the playground with your peers, then it, you know there's a, a chance of belonging when you get to you know keep up with your peers. And, and that's just a real simple example, but uh, uh, really that's how it all got started. Yeah, I love that. And so you were a you were a teacher turned CEO. So how did that all come about? Well, you know, I I put myself through university doing respite. I worked for a family and I mean, I couldn't believe I was getting paid to do this. I would hang out with their children, parents would get a break. And uh, you know, I was I was going through an adapted phys ed degree and then on after that an after degree in education and here I am, but you you really connect with families. And it's not when it's not about a job, it's about connecting with a family. You know, I became a part of their family um, right. in those situations. And so once once I became a teacher, that was my goal. I saw the families reaching out and saying, Hey, do you know somebody that could help me? Well, I had a full-time teaching job and I had three families. So I was pretty much done. But I knew some people who were also looking for part-time employment, and I was managing about seven families and teaching, and they kept asking me, I need more families, and it, it, back in that day, it was families had to find their own people. It, there really wasn't an agency, and um, I, I had a teacher salary. I was happy with that. I ended up hiring my first staff because I just couldn't, I had no capacity to do any more, and so the social entrepreneur really came from, like, our, our margins were really small, $3 an hour off of every hour. And if a family only has 20 hours a month, it's not a lot. Right. Um, but, you know, when I, I saved up enough money to hire somebody for three months and said, you need to get this many hours if you'd like to, you know, continue on. And I had yeah. no idea the impact. And so I taught up until 2012, part-time, I was down to one day a week. I kept decreasing the amount of teaching that I was doing until I remember a discussion with my husband and you work hard to become a teacher. How do you give that up? Right. And um, it was kind of this decision that he's like, just let it go. This, this is something really special. And um, yeah, I, I really went in full time. And at that point it was gradually growing and uh, I had a pretty good team at that point and I just needed to focus full time on it. So I just jumped in with two feet. And it's, it's great because they're CEOs who, you know, they often are accidental CEOs. They sort of land in that position and they just might be like ravishly successful. But in your case, you, you are successful and you get to leave a legacy and you get to do it by helping others. So that's a really cool thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, let's, let's talk about the business and let's talk about, so, so how many employees do you have now? Right now, we have about 150 employees. Wow, that is a lot of employees. So yes. as you scaled your business, what challenges did you have with bringing on that many people? Well, 
Yeah, it was much easier in the days when it was very small. And I think for me, my background in teaching, I think really led to that because I was special, I was always in the, the special needs um, uh, and always working side by side with an educational assistant. And so we were like a team. So everybody that I would bring on to our organization, it was really working alongside them and and, and I'm not going to, I mean, yes, it was tough because I knew that I might be able to do that a little bit better, a little bit faster, but the letting go piece uh, was really, really important. And it was, um, you know, finding people who were passionate about the cause that I was, was the first thing because I couldn't do it all. And so, you know, I remember where I was the person on the phone, the families wanted to talk to me as a founder, they still sometimes want to talk to me. But being able to bring other people on board, um, I, I I didn't grow this. Um, it grew very organically as well. So I did very little marketing. It was word of mouth. So families mm -hmm. would tell another family, then they would, you know. So, uh, you know, in that regard, uh, it, it was done, um, you know, thoughtfully, but with the right people. And yes, you, said you found yeah. people that were, um, you know, attracted to the same cause as you were. How did you do that? Uh, you yeah, I think that um, first I was really close to the University of Alberta. Mm -hmm. I had amazing connections. I mean, I just graduated. So I was doing some work with professors, running some of their labs. I did adaptive visit. So it was easy to connect with some eager students. I ran some uh, programs on the weekends. So I had a lot of access to young, talented professionals who were completing their degrees. And finding staff in that regard um, was really quite easy back right. when I first got started. And I felt like I always got way more than, you know, what I um, what I had anticipated because these were you know I remember getting a science student and I'm like what what are you here for this we're working with kids with diverse abilities right. and they're like I'm going to be a pediatrician one day and I was like wow so you know in the beginning I didn't have like a I didn't have a leadership group it was me and uh, you know I had one other person supporting me but it was about getting the front line so those people that were connected to right. our families who are working directly with their um, with their children. So it uh, so in that regard, um, you know, there's so many cases where those people became, you know, went on to become teachers and psychologists and nurses. So you got a really, uh, you know, we had a really great group of um, students to work from. So then how many are on your leadership team? Out of this we center? have at this current point, there's five people on our leadership team. Okay. I have a uh, director of uh, fund development and communications. I have a, uh, she is Reese, a COO. Um, she's got a finance background. So she's our, uh, she likes the F in the, the CFOO. So um, uh -huh. she was our corporate uh, director of corporate services and now, um, yeah, really helping me with the operations. And I've got uh, two people in programs that are really, that's the majority of what we do. So one person is directly in responsible for the delivery um, of overseeing the delivery of our programs. And the other director is um, really the back end of how our technology works. We've got a customized database and yeah, the, the, the automation of all of our um, 
processes and policies and whatnot. So kind of oversees that piece. So it's um, small, but mighty. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is sometimes the best way, you know, that it works and to each yeah. their own and how they do it. So, so what is um, the vision for the company in the next, say like two to five years, where are you headed? Like what's, what's new for you? Yeah, well, I would say this last year has been really, really exciting. Um, the, you know, our, our children with each year, they grow up and then we have new programming when they're 20. So every year, more and more people turn 20. So we are actually in the new year, and I know you asked me three to five years, but in the new year, we are opening up a third site, which is about 7,000 square feet of space. We're going to have wow. three groups um, for programming area. And, um, you know, when and it took us five years. So we built our previous one in 2018, and now we've got this new one. And it feels like it, we can't wait five years to do this again. Right. Right. Um we really um, doing that type of a project, it, it costs a lot. It's a lot of money and, you know, uh, about $400,000 for us to do this new development. And we don't get a, a many, much of that is from fundraising. Right. So, you know, we're, we have a strategy as well to be using current infrastructure. So mm -hmm. in the summer with our summer camps, cause they come and go, we really uh, work with communities, whether it's community leagues, churches to rent their space. But we're really excited about this new project where we're working with the city of Edmonton. Now they have rec centers throughout the city and we get to pilot where we're going to run a BU program. And, you know, families, social nights is something where families get a break in the evening, you know, respite, they get to have coffee with a friend, run errands, date night out with a spouse, spend time with other, you know, siblings and, you know, children in the family. But their kids um, will come to us and it's a warm, welcoming environment, but it's in their own community. So that is, I mean, the city of Edmonton has rec centers throughout. And mm -hmm. so to pilot there, then we could have something in the north and, and across the city and every, you know, in every one of those rec centers, which has really been for the last 10 years, something that I've been working on. And it didn't come like that. It took time for us to build our reputation um, right. and have a proven track record. And now the city's saying, hey, can you bring your programs into our facilities? So that takes me to like outside of, right. you know, three to five years is this is just in one city hub. So yeah. we'd love to, like our, our legal name is Alberta Adaptabilities Association. So we'd love to go across Alberta. And I just say that we just can't seem to get out of Edmonton because there's such a need here, but uh, right. we're really working on the foundation to get our processes in order, the structure so that we can uh, scale up into other cities. And uh, that's huge. That's, yeah. that's like, uh, so how does that align with your overall vision for the company? That's amazing. Yeah. Well, we have a BHAG uh, 2030. Uh, we want to help 10,000 families. We're mm. at about 2,500 right now, and we have no idea how. Um, the how is it important? The why is key because we know the difference that our programs make uh, right. for our families and, of course, their children. So it would be, yeah, really something for us uh, to be able to to reach an impact of ten thousand families. That's amazing. So you started this journey as a CEO, and we all know that as CEOs, we we um, we have a lot of 
screw ups in our book along the way of building something like this, especially you've got, this is like one with wings. You kind of have many different parts to it. So um, what's been the most difficult part of your CEO journey and how have you handled it? Well, I mean, I, I said that I've had lots of people to help me, um, but I feel like I did a lot of it on my own mm-hmm. in that I was, I, you know, I call myself a lone wolf. Like I, I never really, like in 2004 when we started and we're 2015 and I don't think I ever really understood what working on the business was. Right. I was in it head down my head is in the sand really. Um, and I got connected to Alberta women entrepreneurs, an organization that supports women in uh, who are entrepreneurs. Uh, I was the only one at the seat that was in the not-for-profit world. They were all for-profit businesses, but I, I needed to be there. I really, I, I was, I knew exactly what types of services, but I, I, I was overwhelmed. I, I almost reached a place of paralysis. Yeah. And it was like, you know, the budget just got bigger and bigger. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I felt like I wasn't smart enough. I felt like I, I needed to know more. And I was grappling syndrome. Oh, you're yes. running the company and you're like, well, like, who am I to do this? Yeah. And I'm like, I, I I need an MBA, but I'm like, I don't have time for MBA. I had small children and I was, I was like, how do I fit that in? And it was just uh, this place of, yeah, complete paralysis, but yet, you know, and, and at that point it was, it was very, very, very overwhelming for me. So um, I think the, I, you know, I, I wasn't developing myself in terms of learning. I was, I was working inside it day in day out and it just was not sustainable yeah yeah and and we hear that all the time you know is you're running around day to day hair on fire this mess that mess and sometimes you know I've, I've seen it where it's just so overwhelming that you end up doing something and you're literally doing it and you're like why am I doing this like I know I should not be doing this yeah. thing right now but the gravity of getting it all done and feeling like you need to do it yourself because it was your vision and and your idea and your starting point. It, it's, a, it's a thing that a lot of founders and CEOs struggle with and suffer with. And so yeah. you call yourself a visionary, which is not often what we hear. Um, and so tell me, tell me about what's behind that, because that that's where like a CEO and a founder should be. They should be the visionary. Actually, I tell Ken, my husband all the time, like, babe, you need to go visionize, right? We call it visionizing, right? Like you you yeah. need to, you know, go visionize because he's really the vision visionary for what we do. But, um, you know, how did you get to that place as opposed to being head in the sand, like what you mentioned yeah. before? Well, I definitely embrace a challenge and when someone says you can't do that, um, I like to find a way. I, I believe I'm naturally talented at being able to see the end before we even get there. And it's like, yeah, I, we could do this, this, and this. Um, I'm not necessarily so organized in putting all those pieces together. I, I like somebody to be able to help me out to do that. But in the beginning, I think that's why why I was able to kind of you know do both of them. But 
I remember two students came to me and um, I'm teaching phys ed and they're like, look, I really love to downhill ski. But when we went to the ski club, nobody talked to us. Mm. And there was this feeling of loneliness. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the vision is what could this look like for these individuals, right? And so we created a social night. Um, and that's, you know, same type of thing when we, when there was a summer camp, we have summer camps in the city of Edmonton, but when a family comes to me and it's 11 o'clock and, um, you know, they're saying my kid got kicked out of camp, what do I do? I'm a working family. So, you know, we really got a niche of families who work, um, and you know, what do you do? So that, you know, we created our hearts in action camp. So I could hear those stories I could create a vision of what that could be like for the families if they had reliable care for their children where our staff knew them. And, and so I'm always looking at gaps in the system. Um, I, you know, uh, I was married and I thought it all had to do with when I was a teacher, but I'll tell you this quick story. I was I married stories. to, okay, I was married to a quadriplegic and of course, my background's adaptive is ed. So you're, you know, you're in that circle of people who are, who have disabilities and, you know, he was a wheelchair athlete. And so uh, we got, we got engaged and then we were looking at purchasing a house. Now, just imagine like, these are things that don't exist. There is no such thing as a wheelchair accessible show home. So right. we went looking and back then I didn't have a digital camera. It was film and that would take, you know, five days to get it, you know, so it would be me going yeah, in yeah. saying, this is what it looked like. What do you think? And I remember, and it was just like, this is a huge decision. And so naturally I had this idea. This is where the vision is. And maybe it's just like, I got 20 ideas and two of them are really good. Right. Um, but the idea was we need someone to build us a home. And then we need to open it up. We need them to agree to open it up as a show home. There is nothing like this. Mm -hmm. And um, so in 1996, that's exactly what we did. We approached wow. three builders. The first one said no. The second one said no. And the third one was a smaller builder and said, we'd love to. Now, of course, people got to put their products in the house. So it really was a win-win because we got yeah. married and we had no house to live in. Right. You know, um, but it it definitely was the first of its kind. And then from there, then others kind of catch on. And, and now you have show homes that are at least accessible on the main floor. Right. Um, yeah. So that's why I think, you know, the visionary piece is that I, I it's just seems to me something that I can just innately do right. where I'm always looking at what could what could be. Right. Right. I, I love that. I mean, that really is something that seems like it is ingrained in you and then you've developed that muscle and you don't need an MBA to be successful. You don't, I mean, Tony Robbins didn't finish high school. Some of the richest people I know, some of the smartest people I know, they didn't have MBAs. They just filled a gap, met a need, never gave up, was attached to their why, all of those things. So, you know, I always say when you're in a room of, and, and you never want to be the smartest person in a room, but when you're in a room of other people, there's always something you've, you're you better at or something that only you know how to do really, really well. Yeah. So, you know, it's just good to remind yourself of that. Um, all right. So wrapping up a few more questions here. So what are the top things impacting your specific industry right now? Like maybe some of the stigmas or the challenges of being a charity. And it could be something that's either, you know, positive or negative. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think in, in many industries right now, finding people um, to do this very important work is, is really difficult. I think everybody, that's definitely one of our top challenges is we've got about 140 people sitting on our wait list. So we just, we can't wow. get to them. Um, yeah. I, I think when you look at charities, I'll t you know, the last three years, 2018 prior to 2020, we were at 4.2 million, 5.5 million and 6.8. And I'm going to tell you, this is the biggest stigma. I did not have an accountant on my team mm -hmm. because I didn't think I could afford it. Like <laughs> we couldn't afford it because like they get paid a lot of money. Yeah. And um, I, I had this, you know, epiphany that, oh my, you know, I just can't do that anymore. And I'm smart, but I am not specialized in, you know, our accountant does a great job, but I need somebody on the floor. And we had a fabulous, really great finance manager, but we really needed to increase, uh, you know, our knowledge, uh, subject matter, you know, expert in that area. So right. I think that there's, there is a stigma, even when it comes to supporters and donors that people in the nonprofit world, we need to do more for less. And at the end of the day, we are solving some of life's most critical issues. And in order to do that, you need talent. Mm -hmm. And I've seen lots of people come, we train them, and then they go work for the government. And I just sit there and it's over and over and over again. And so I've really shifted my perspective. I'm actually not using the word not-for-profit, although I have throughout this, um, because we're really about for impact. And we actually need to make money. At the mm -hmm. end of every year, I need to know that we've made money in order for us to grow and be sustainable. And I need to retain, I need to, you know, really attract top talent and right. as well um, retain them. And in order to do that, we do need to be competitive and we want to be an employer of choice. And so I, I feel like, yeah, I have to do things a little bit differently and not everybody likes, you know, that, you know, perspective, but um, Dan Pilata is a, is a great mentor to me in, um, and I'm not going to, I'm going to say if I, if I don't say it, his quote exactly, but I love it. Um, ever wonder why charities aren't changing the world the way we had coped or, or sorry, the way we had hoped it's because that's not what we asked them to do. We asked them to keep their overhead and salaries low. So guess what they did? And so, you know, I've put money into retaining some really great uh, leadership um, and, and it's making a difference and we're getting a lot of traction. Yeah, I, I love that. You know, I think people think 501c3 and they think broke or they think, you know, uh, it's you're not there to make money. And that isn't what they are there for. They're there for impact. So I like the way you said that is it's for impact. I started out in, in marketing and public relations. That's what I studied. And I um, I started out originally at the Miami Art Museum, which was a 501c3. And then I moved on to the Miami Children's Museum. And I opened that as their um, marketing manager. So, you know, I, I know what is behind the curtain there. Um, I had for, I was in the marketing and public relations department and I know that we had to go out and find the funds to make it happen. Yeah. And you don't get to make the impact unless you are successful and, and, and it's okay to be successful. Cause I also think there's this stigma that, that, you know, you shouldn't be successful because you're a charity and that's not that's not what anybody wants. And so, um, yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. And I do think that 
that by that shift in what you're doing in terms of putting that out to the labor force that you could very well attract longstanding potential. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, marketing is super important and, you know, we've, we have a lot of great word of mouth and mm -hmm. that piece that travels, but yeah. the, you know, I remember when we wanted to print our first brochures and I'm like, but we don't have any money to print the brochures. So I went to our three most loyal, uh, you know, uh, vendors, our lawyer, our accountant and our insurance. And I mm -hmm. said, look, would you be willing to put your logo on the back of our brochure? And um, I, I never wanted to have to ask, but I really wasn't asking. They were so connected to what we do. Um, and, and I'm, you know, we're, we're still working with those three companies um, to this right. day after 19 years. And um, they were like, yes, tell us um, where, where do we sign? This is great. And from there, I, you know, I was able to really, you know, wrap my brain around the fact that um, I remember there was a, a, a grant we applied for, and it was a big grant for, you know, TELUS, and they didn't, you know, we, we put a fabulous application in, and what happened is it came back, yes, it was a good application, but, um, you know, you didn't get it, and I hung up, and I'm like, oh my gosh, and I thought, I'm going to be brave here, I picked the phone back up, and I said, tell me, you said it was a great application, why didn't we get it? because nobody knows who you are, not one person at that table. And so I said, okay, that's where I said, I got to get my head out of the sand. I'm, I need to let someone else run the business and I'm going to go talk and share the stories about what we do and the impact we have. And that's when I noticed a big shift. So that marketing is like, we're, we want to be a household name so we can help other families. And uh, it, it, so I am a big, big believer in using uh, our dollars for marketing purposes. And it has absolutely, you know, tenfold uh, increased our capacity to help more people. Yeah, that's great. That's great. All right. So if you could do it all over again, speaking to your younger or less experienced self, as you built this company, what would your advice be? Um, yeah, my advice is the, the little, you know, um, what do you, you know, the self doubt, I, I just think about all the time and energy that I put to doubting myself. And I would have absolutely connected to a peer group um, mm -hmm. much sooner, whether it was coaching or like, I don't need to do it myself. And uh, there is, I've got a tribe of people that I surround myself in, I belong to women's presidents organization for about five years now. And uh, it's the most amazing support. So when I have an issue, um, it might feel like a boulder to me, but someone else on my on within our group is like, yeah, that's like a pebble. And they share their experience. Right. And then it's vice versa. And, and I remember showing up going, oh, what can I contribute? And they're like, wow, you have, you know, you have over 100 staff. So I was dealing with things that somebody over here hadn't. And so it really right. is this back and forth network of support where you don't feel alone. You feel right. completely supported. And uh, so I think uh, that would be, uh, yeah, what I would say to myself back then. It's true. It's true that, that, you know, if you think you can, you will. And if you think you can't, you won't. It's that That's kind right. of, that doubt, you know, it, it does creep up, especially when you're building something and there's the highs and the lows and the like lows can go on for a while for a small little high. And also, 
you know, I always said too, just you have to celebrate the wins along the way, even if they're small. Because so often as entrepreneurs, you get a win and then you're just like, okay, now what? Now what's yeah. next? Oh, let's do this next thing. And you don't just take a minute to go, wow, that's pretty cool that I did that. That's pretty amazing. We have 140 families yeah. on our wait list right now. You know, just those little victories to remind yourself you're you're on the right path, you know, yeah. just along yeah. the way. No, I okay. totally resonated with that. I'll just share something quick. I was with a yeah. coach and I was talking about something that I hadn't done yet. And he said, Michelle, will you just stop? He says, I want you to look behind you. And he goes, butterflies, they see out in front, but they don't actually, they're not able to turn around and see how beautiful their wings are. And it was just, it really, what you just said there is to stop and celebrate. And so, you know, it's like, look back and we, yeah, we are our hardest critics about what we haven't done versus being able to look back and go, wow, I was a part of that whole journey and in really celebrate that. So it was butterflies, wings are beautiful. You know, there is a path before um, yeah. that we need to just really celebrate. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've immensely enjoyed hearing about all of the, I mean, truly amazing things that you're doing. And um, I love, I love where you're headed. I love how much people are about to be transformed just because you had a vision one day and you didn't let that negative voice tell you not to make that jump and not to make that leap. So um, us at the shift spot will definitely be watching and, and see what you've got going on. If somebody wanted to reach out to you, what is the best way for them to get a hold of you? Sure. I do have a personal website, uh, michelleherdell.ca, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-H-O-R-D-A-L. .ca and you could take a look. Um, there's a way for you to just reach out to me um, okay. through that website for sure. And uh, we're I'm really interested in helping other people like myself who had complete overwhelm. Um, I hired a feng shui lady to come in here so you can see some of it. It was like paper everywhere. And I was like, I just, you know, needed to, you know, bring in some joy or some calm. And when you're right. running a hectic, uh, you know, uh, growing business, you know, sometimes I had to intentionally do things um, that really helped me. So um, right. yeah. And and it's sometimes it's just those little things. I know if I have like a huge task to get done, I literally have to have a completely clean desk slash house. And so my husband will be like, what are you doing? I thought you have this big fill in the blank to do. And it's like, I literally can't do it until this is done. Like I've learned that about myself. So yeah, whatever, whatever works to boost your productivity. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks so much for being on the shift spotlight. We really appreciated having you here today. Yeah. Thank you. What a privilege uh, winter. So appreciate uh, your time and sharing uh, my story. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the shift spotlight podcast. If you are a service-based business owner, CEO, founder, or co-founder with under 10 years of experience, and you are in the trenches of growing your idea or business and want to bring your inspiring story of change, challenge, and success, all while promoting your business and gaining exposure with a remarkable and influential network, we are actively searching for podcast guests who can share their journey. Please visit theshiftspot.com forward slash podcast to apply today. And if you are a listener, I'd love to give a shout out to your business, to our entire audience for free. All you have to do is leave a review on Apple Podcasts or follow our newsletter by going to LinkedIn and searching The Shift Spot. 
Your thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean the world to me and my team. We believe every person has a message that can positively impact the world, and we love our community who listens and shares our program. Together, we are empowering one another as shift leaders. Hit subscribe to be inspired and motivated. I promise to bring positivity and inspiration to you and your growing business. We will see you next time.